Welcome to Staying the Course. Join us as we navigate the uncompromised Word of God with Pastor Brett Peterson. We're going to continue our series in Exodus. Last week we uh, covered chapter 14. I wanted to review that really quick. Israel, as predicted in Genesis, ended their 400 years of slavery and uh, literally were set free from Egypt. They left with much because, remember, the Egyptians, as they left, gave them gold and treasure and clothes and everything they needed for the journey. God led him to an impossible place. Do you remember that? Where did he lead him to? Baal Zephon. And, you know, most commentaries and most people in the Bible think that's a place. But we discovered that Baal Zephon was actually a god. And it was one of the last gods that God, the real God, demonstrated his power over to the Egyptians. And even though Israel was trapped, God provided a way of escape. And we talked about what did Moses, Moses tell the nation of Israel? When they were trapped there with Pharaoh's army behind them, the sea before them, the Red Sea, and the mountains on this side, what did, what did Moses say? Hey, be still. I will fight for you. I will fight your battle. And folks, I don't know about you, but it is so easy to not be still in this life. Do you know what I mean? I mean, we are so busy. We're so inundated with things and cares and concerns of the world. But to be still and know that God is God and he's got your back. If you're a man or woman of prayer, you can do that. We know that God delivered him. And Israel is now both free and delivered from Egypt. They're set apart exclusively by God and for God, and that's called sanctification. We're going to talk a little bit about that before we get into chapter 15 this morning. God led them to what looked like a disaster. We know they were trapped. We know that they had nowhere to go. Remember Baal Zephon? I know that's not the Baal Zephon. This is from some movie or video game. I, I forget. Anyone know what this is from? Huh? Oh, Game of Thrones. Okay. But this is the description of Baal Zephon. We found in archaeology that this God stood on two mountains with sword drawn, ready to do war and engage in battle. And that's exactly where Israel found themselves at the Red Sea. We talked about it last week with Baal Zephon. God had to show the Egyptians that the God in whom they believed was this mighty warrior the God of the sea, the God of storms, that God, the one true God, was more and greater and more powerful than him. The other one was Pharaoh's army. And we know that the army was drowned in the sea. Uh, some deep uh, diving instruments have gone down in the Red Sea. I don't know if you've seen this, but they found chariot wheels with coral growing on it and, and all these things. So we believe this is a true story. Israel was finally free and delivered. After 40 days of the 10 plagues that took about 40 days, they went from being completely enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. That's a long time. It's a long time to be slaves, to being free and set free from Christ. The question I asked last week as we ended is, what are the gods that are in your life that the Lord wants to get rid of? 
anything that comes between you and God is something that shouldn't be in your life. Does that make sense? I know so many people in the county in which we live are, their God is what? Money, status, what they own. In fact, they are what they own rather than owning what they are. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're free, but do you need to be delivered from something this morning? If you have anything that comes before God in your life, God wants to set you free from that. Could be a bad habit. Could be eating unhealthy. That's what I need to be set free from. You know, <laughs> I've been gaining weight. Oh, my Lord, have mercy. I need to be set free. But Israel was set free. The question is, what strongholds are in your life? And we know this verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And I try to apply this and think about this all day long. It says, for though we walk according to the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses, strongholds in your mind or heart or emotions. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Do you try to do that? When those weird thoughts come in, do you try to take them captive and think upon good things? The things of the Lord, we really need to do that. The crossing of the Red Sea, it really represents sanctification. It's the idea, and sanctification literally means being set apart. Who remembers that when we studied it? Literally in the uh, Hebrew, it's hagazio, and it's to be set apart for use in the temple worship, fully dedicated to God. Let me ask you a question. Are you fully dedicated to God this morning? Are you fully trusting God? What's that uh, an acronym, frog, fully rely on God? Are you a frog this morning? <laughs> Hopefully not, but some of us rib it a little bit. This morning I woke up with a little sore throat, and uh, I was like, uh, I had a frog in my throat. To be a person or thing that belongs to God and totally his. Do you know that you belong to God this morning? That he bought you with a price? How are we sanctified? The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. For it is sanctified, set apart for exclusive use by and for God by the means of what? The word of God and prayer. Being men and women of prayer and in the word of God is super important. Hebrews 2.11 says, For both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one Father, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Speaking of Christ, Jesus does the sanctifying work in us. Do you know that sanctification is not how holy and good you are, but it's a state declared by God of your position in Christ? His righteousness is imputed to you. Holy living does result from it, though. We're sanctified by the word of God, by prayer, and the Holy Spirit. In Romans 15, 16, it says, To be a minister of Christ Jesus, to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest of the gospel of God, that my offering to the Gentiles might become acceptable, sanctified, 
by the Holy Spirit. Have you ever wanted to cry out in jubilant praise to God? Have you ever really done that? Have you ever jumped up and down and it's like, God, you're so good. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for delivering me. Have you ever passionately worshiped God? You see, when you're really set free, and in our text this morning, we're going to find the whole nation of Israel, they are set free. What's the first thing that they do? Man, they break forth into praise and worship of a mighty God. This morning in our text, it's Exodus chapter 15, literally is the first praise song in the Bible. Why don't we turn there in our Bibles, Exodus chapter 15. We're going to finish this whole chapter this morning. So we'll be here till one o'clock. So you guys are, what? Are you kidding? No, we'll be done on time, maybe even early. Exodus chapter 15, verse 1. Then Moses and the sons of Israel sang this song to the Lord and said, I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider has been hurled in the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. That is my God, and I will praise him. Last week, I kind of reminded you that the last song in the Bible is the same song. Isn't that cool? Revelation chapter 15, why don't you turn there really quick, and let's just read why they sing it in Revelation. It's the first song in the Bible, and it's the last song in the Bible, and we are going to sing this song standing before the throne of God. Isn't that cool? Man, Revelation chapter 15, verse 1, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels who had seven plagues, which are the last, because in them the wrath of God is finished. Verse 2, And I saw something like a sea of glass mixed with fire. Can you picture this? Now, this is some kind of translucent floor before the throne of God. You ever seen like some really cool translucent like glass or something in in a, like a museum or something where they have like flames behind, behind it and it just looks really cool? Have you seen that? It's kind of this idea. Now, how futuristic is this going to be? Some picture the throne of God as these clouds and they're floating and, you know, it's like in Sunday school, those old little uh, pictograms we used to look like but the throne of God in the Bible is amazing the sea of glass literally this floor before the throne of God and we know the city that will live the new Jerusalem is made out of translucent gold think about that I mean it's some kind of metal we don't even have it's so pure that it's translucent that that's kind of cool as well but continue reading Verse 2, And I saw something like a sea of glass mixed with fire, and those who had been victorious over the beast and his image and the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, holding harps of God. And they sang the song of what? Moses and who? The Lamb. Who's the Lamb? Jesus. You know, this song is the song of Moses and and Jesus Christ. It represents the old covenant and the new. Literally, saints from the old and the new covenant 
who are victorious in Christ Jesus are going to stand before the throne of God and worship God with Moses and Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? Continue on. Verse uh, 3b, Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God Almighty. Righteous and true are your ways, King of the nations. Anyone have King James here? What does your version say there? It says, King of who? The saints. It's interesting. You know where they got that? Not from any Greek manuscript. It's not in the Greek at all. In fact, they got it from the Latin Vulgate. It's actually added in as a, um, it was a, a footnote in the Latin Vulgate, and they put it into the Textus Recepticus, King James. Literally, it's king of the nations, or ages. Verse 4, Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, for all the nations will come and worship before you, and your righteous acts have been revealed. And this song that we're in Exodus chapter 15 in our text this morning is the first song and the last song in the Bible. Don't, aren't you glad that one author wrote this? And that's God. This is God's word. And this is one of those proofs that this is God's word. He actually had bookends of praise uh, written about himself in Exodus 15 and Revelation chapter 15. Let's go back to Exodus 15. Verse 1, we've made it half a verse. We're, we're going quick, but we'll get through it. Then Moses and the sons of Israel sang this song to the Lord and said, I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider have been hurled into, into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. Do you know the joy of the Lord is what? Our strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength, and so many Christians lack that joy. A few Sundays ago, we talked about having childlike faith. Do you remember that sermon? We talked about having that childlike joy in the Lord. Do you know, even as fuddy-duddy adults, we can do that? Do you ever have the joy of the Lord? In the midst of life, instead of being, oh man, stressed out with the burdens and cares of life, just like, man, my dad's got this. I don't care what problem I'm facing this morning, dad's got this. He's got my back, he's got my six, he's looking out for me and my family, and whatever problem, whatever situation I'm facing in life, God is greater than that. The task before you is not greater than the power behind you. Amen? Man, if we would just know that, we would have the joy of the Lord. Here it says this, The Lord is my strength and my song, and when you have joy, do you ever break out in song? Anybody? Or whistle? Am I the only one that does that? It's like, I will break out in song, I'll whistle, I don't care if I'm in the mall. Sometimes I'll sing loud in the mall just to freak Cheryl out. No, I, I, I only did that once, I think, a long time ago. Maybe. Cheryl, did I ever do that? Yeah, uh, maybe. I don't know. You ever do that just to embarrass people? Just go in a store and start, like, singing as loud as you can? No? <laughs> I, I challenge you to do that. Oh, you did it. Yes. 
we got to talk afterwards, okay? You got to tell me the, 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 the details. That is so fun. Actually, I did it in Bible college a lot. I was a rebel rouser in Bible college, and I would embarrass people quite a bit. It was pretty fun. Let's continue. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will extol him or exalt him. The Lord is a what? A warrior. I love that verse. Our God fights on our behalf, just like last week we talked about. Be silent, stand still, be still, and know that God is God, and he will go before you and run behind you when you need it and be your rear guard. Verse 4, Pharaoh's chariots and his army he cast into the sea, and the choicest of his officers were drowned in the Red Sea. The deep covers them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, is majestic in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. And in the greatness of your excellence, you overthrow those who rise up against you. You send forth your burning anger, and it consumes them as chaff. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters were piled up. The flowing water stood up like a heap. Folks, this was a deep part of the Red Sea. You know, some people have theorized it was the Reed Sea, and it was only about that deep. And the strong wind kind of cleared the water out a little bit, and it wasn't a miracle. But, man, we read last week that the water was like walls on either side of Israel as they passed through the Red Sea. More than that, uh, we had a guy, a researcher who uh, was an Egyptologist on our staff, and he did research with our uh, Bible college, and uh, he found hieroglyphics that you cannot get pictures of uh, when he was doing research there undercover, and uh, literally it had walls of water with Pharaoh's army in the middle being drowned as it came in the hieroglyphic uh, uh, representation, actual proof. He gave me a picture of that once, but he hadn't produced his research yet, and I can't find it. But, uh, man, he had like 50 pictures of hieroglyphics of proof of the Exodus. Now, imagine if that came out. Even Jews question the ex Exodus. Do you know that? Some of these scholars are so incredibly naive that they would question what's written in here. Uh, we've given a lot of archaeological proof that the events of this book so far, Genesis all the way to here, we have extra biblical proof that these events actually occurred. It's really kind of cool. Continue on. Verse 9. The enemy I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. This is what they were saying. My desire shall be gratified against them, and I will draw out my sword, and my hand will destroy them. You blew with your wind, and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you among the gods, O Lord? Remember, uh, Israel had been captives in Egypt and slaves in Egypt for 400 years. So all the gods of Egypt, you can bet, they began to believe in. After 400 years of being in a land, you tend to begin to believe what the land believes. Does that make sense? 
And so that's why they sing this here and they call them like they're real gods when really they're just statues and idols. They're not gods, but they say, who is like you among the gods? They're not saying that there's actual other gods in the universe. What they're saying is, man, all the gods that we worshiped in Egypt and that the Egyptians worshiped, there's none that compares to you. Why? Because every plague, all 10, was uh, God defeating the gods of Egypt. And even their final deliverance at the Red Sea was God defeating their last god, Baal Zephon which is kind of the coolest God. You know, that guy standing on mountains with the, <laughs> with the sword. Man, I like it. Game of Thrones, they got that from the Bible. Isn't that cool? Well, any cool, any cool stuff comes from the Bible. It's just, I think Star Wars is in here somewhere. <laughs> and maybe even uh, Mockingjay, I'm not sure. No, I, I don't know. Is that cool stuff? Let's continue. Verse 11b, who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders. You stretch out your right hand and the earth swallowed them. Now, verse 13 through 18, actually now, this song is going to become prophecy. It's going to talk about when Israel gets into the promised land. Verse 13, in your loving kindness, you have led the people whom you have redeemed. Are we redeemed? What does redemption mean? That Christ, what? Bought us. He paid for us on the cross. Man, we're redeemed. In your strength, you have guided them to your holy habitation. The peoples have heard, they tremble. Anguish has gripped the inhabitants of Philistia. Guess where Philistia is today? What, what geographic location that is? It's the Gaza Strip. It's the exact location of the Gaza Strip right now in Israel. That is Philistine, uh, Philistia. Continue on. Then the chiefs of Edom, that's South Jordan and Southern Israel, were dismayed. The leaders of Moab trembling grips them. All the inhabitants of Canaan, and that's the whole land, have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them by the greatness of your arm. They are motionless as stone until your people pass over, O Lord, until the people pass over whom you have purchased. Isn't that interesting? Do you know that's New Covenant terminology there? Being redeemed, being purchased. It's literally the idea of being sanctified by God himself. You know, you can't be good enough to be sanctified. You can't be good enough to be justified. Because Christ paid for it all on the cross. He imputes his righteousness to us. I love that. Continue on. Where'd I leave off? 17. Thank you. You will bring them and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance to the place, O Lord, which you have made for their dwelling. The sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established, the Lord shall reign forever and ever. Now verse 19 goes back to current events for their song. For the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, and the Lord brought back the waters of the sea on them, but the sons of Israel walked on dry land through the midst of the sea. Then Miriam, Aaron's uh, sister, the prophetess, took the timbrel in her hand, and all the women went after her with timbrels and with dancing. And Miriam answered them, Sing to the Lord. 
for he is highly exalted, the horse and his rider he has hurled into the sea. Can you picture that? All the dam- Do you hear the kids downstairs? <laughs> too bad we weren't on Joshua and Jericho today too, right? It's so funny, Joshua and Jericho, I thought they were going to be really loud, two kids. You know, man, whose kids are those? I'll talk to him, Joshua and Jericho. (laughs) No, it's actually the story. So what we have, this is probably the location where they crossed the Red Sea. Uh, Remember, they went through Etham. God turned them around. They went to Baal Zephon, where that huge statue, standing on two mountains with sword drawn. So they were, that's right where they crossed the Red Sea, right about where that red line crosses the Gulf of Agabah. They went into that area there, and um, we'll find now that they're going to Mara, and Mara means bitter. Uh, and it's because when they got there, there was water, but it was bitter. So let's read on. I just wanted to show you on a map where these places were again. Exodus chapter 15, and we made it to verse 22. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur, and that's all there where... Uh, that encompasses all of the Saudi Arabia, Midian, Mount Sinai, Jebel La'az on your map up there. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Mara, which means bitter, they could not drink the waters, for it was named, uh, for they were bitter, therefore they named it Mara. So the people grumbled at Moses, saying, What shall we drink? Then he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, and he threw it in the water, and the waters became sweet. Now, have you ever been super thirsty in the desert? Anybody? I grew up in a desert town. It gets like 110 degrees, and we'd ride our dirt bikes out and shoot and all of that. But, man, when you were thirsty out in the desert like that, I mean, it's a thirst that you can't explain. It's not like... Most of us today, it's like we've got water bottles, we've got cups of water all over. I mean, we, we have water everywhere. But when you don't have water and you're thirsty, and especially with the great multitude like this, you can imagine it was kind of a scary thing for them. From a distance, they see this oasis because anytime there's water in the desert in this region, there would be palm trees. And you've seen it on television, the you know, the great vast desert with an oasis. And so from a distance, they could see that there were palm trees. They had hoped that there would be fresh water there, but it was bitter. You know that people look at you as symbolically someone they can be refreshed through? Do you know that? The Bible says that we should season our speech with what? With grace. That we should be a people that provide living water to a thirsty and dark world. When they come to us, we should build up and not tear down. We should demonstrate the love of God. Jesus, on the last day of the great feast, said, All who are thirsty, come to me and drink. And out of your innermost being will do what? Flow rivers of living water. To who? Those that are so emotionally and spiritually dead and thirsty and dying around you? What if everyone we met 
we tried to meet a spiritual need in their life? What if everyone we met, we tried to demonstrate the love of Christ to? We gave a word of encouragement. You know, as a chaplain with a fire department, when I do station visits, I try to encourage all the guys. Most of them won't talk to me on deep levels unless I get them by themselves. So I'll say, hey, hey, uh, Captain, can you show me, uh, you know, in the back of the, the, the big truck, you know, that one thing. I forget what it's called, but it is so cool. Could you show me that? And we go out there and, hey, man, how you doing? You know, I, I pray for you. I, I'm concerned about you and your marriage. And how's your marriage going? How's things going in your life? Do you know everyone you meet and have an opportunity to connect with, even in a line at Starbucks? I really figure when I'm at Starbucks and someone's in line and it's taken a long time, okay, there's a purpose. I'm supposed to talk to somebody. And I find the one that say, man, I don't know you, but do you know God loves you? How's your day? How can I pray for you? Most people are like, what? <laughs> you know, but you literally, they will open up. Now, sometimes they'll hit you. Have you ever been hit when you witnessed? Spit on? I have. Cussed at? I have. <laughs> Pushed over? Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Oh, you Christians. Ugh. You're crazy. Let's continue on. Exodus 15, verse 25. Then he cried out to the Lord. The Lord showed him a tree, and he threw it into the waters, and the waters became sweet. You know, some commentators say the tree represents the cross, and the bitterness of your life is sweetened when uh, you introduce the cross to it. I, I really can't get that analogy here, the way the text reads. I wished we could point to the cross. And I know the cross does make life better, or at least it gives you the tools so that you can face the challenges of life more easily. But literally, for some reason, God had him throw a tree in the water, and the water became sweet. But I do know this, God will take the ashes of your life and turn it into beauty. He will take the bitterness in your life and turn it into good and sweet. Just trust him. Run to him. Involve him in your life. Verse 26, or 25b, there, speaking of God, he made for them a statute and a regulation, and there he tested them. You ever been tested by God? How does he test us? Usually he tells us something to do, and the test is, are we going to obey him or not? That's, that's pretty much how he tests us. His word tells us what to do. The test is, are you going to be obedient? If he puts something on your heart and you're not obedient, then he won't speak to you again until you do what he's already told you to do. It's a test. This is what he did to the nation of Israel right here, verse 26. And he said, if you will give earnest heed to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have put on the Egyptians, for I, the Lord, am your healer. Don't you love that? You know God still heals. I've been healed supernaturally several times. 
one time on the mission field, hurt my back. You know the story. I didn't even believe. The guys with me said, man, let's pray. I said, no, get a stinking helicopter and get me to a hospital. I am really hurt. You know, I, I was painful, couldn't move. They prayed instantly. I feel this warmth and it was instantly healed. Started carrying the generator again that I was carrying. Now, the weird part is I, had, I know God can heal. Make no mistake about it. I mean, I've prayed for people and seen them healed. You've seen people healed. We know it. So it wasn't a doubt in God. But at that moment, I just thought, I don't have any. I, just get me to a doctor, right? <laughs> get me some drugs and get me to the doctor as soon as you can because uh, it was so painful. But I, the Lord, am your healer. Verse 27, then they came to Elam. That literally means palms or oasis in Hebrew, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 date palms, and they camped there beside the waters. Ah, can you picture that? Israel is finally free, delivered. They are sanctified. They are redeemed. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11 says, and such were some of you. What's the list of sins that's right before this? idolaters, homosexuals, uh, adulterers, uh, fornicators, liars, cheaters, stealers, all these bad things. And such were some of us. I mean you. But you were washed. That's where you come to faith in Jesus Christ. It's not by your own good works. It's by the blood of Christ we are cleansed and forgiven. But you are washed, set free from the bondage of sin, washed from the guilt. You are now guilt-free. But you were, past tense, sanctified, set apart by and for God. Remember, we used this cup as an example when we talked about it. And if I buy a cup at a garage sale, and I've been known to do that, you can get good deals at garage sales. Do you know that? You know, the first thing I do if I buy a cup at a garage sale, man, I, I scrub it. I mean, disinfectant, alcohol, you know, chlorine, you know, everything. It's like I'm this thing is going to be clean. Make no mistake about it. And once I wash it, by the way, does a cup wash itself? Oh, no. Can you wash yourself? You know, only the blood of Christ can wash you. It's a free gift. That's why it's called the good news, the gospel. Every time you sin and fail, when you run to God and confess your sin to him, you are cleansed and forgiven instantly. I wash it and I look at it, smell it. It's clean. Now, guess what? I can put water in it. Drink it. And guess what? Now this is my cup, right? And I set it apart for exclusive use by and for me. Does that make sense? That is sanctification. It's not a future thing that we're looking for. It is something right now that God has cleansed you and bought you and set you apart for exclusive use by and for him. Isn't that a cool picture? That's why sanctified is past tense. And you were justified. That's once you're washed and you're purchased. Yeah, it's clean. 
I proclaim this cup clean. Now I can drink from it. That's justified. It's just as if you were never dirty. Isn't that cool? In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. And it was literally by the price that Jesus Christ paid on the cross that we are sanctified or redeemed. It's really all about the Lord Jesus Christ. Even this whole story that we just read in Exodus is about salvation and redemption in Jesus Christ. Isaiah 61 says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He's set me up to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to appoint unto them that Mount Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. The joy of the Lord is our strength. This song that Moses wrote down, man, what did he say? Man, God is my strength and my song. He's my song and he's become my salvation. Folks, we need to have that jubilant heart even in the midst of trial. Cheryl and I were going through a little trial this week and uh, it was it's hard to talk about Thanksgiving and we need to have a jubilant heart when you're going through a trial. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, man, I told her last night. It's like it's so frustrating. The week that I have to teach on this where I have every right to be mad and I'm going to be mad, I, I'm supposed to be joyful. <laughs> so I had to be joyful. I hate that. That's why I'm telling bad jokes this morning. It's, if you can't laugh with me, you can laugh at me. The, the key is we're laughing, right? Ross's and they were bad too. Thanks, Ross. Beauty to ashes. <laughs> Joy for mourning. Note this, the garment of praise. You put it on. It's like even though you don't feel like praising, you, you do it and what happens? The Holy Spirit comes in in the midst of it and fills you with joy like the balm of Gilead. I love this, that we might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that uh, he might be glorified. John chapter 10, Jesus said this, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. The thief, speaking of Satan, only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. Truly, Christ is our good shepherd, folks. We don't have to fear anything in life when we've placed our trust in him. In the midst of the desert, he will bring water. In the midst of the difficulties and the chains that bind you, he will set you free. The Lord Jesus Christ is our door. He is our key. He is our deliverer. And folks, if you're in bondage to anything but God this morning, you're a slave. And this morning, God can set you free. Titus 2.14 says, Who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed 
and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good works. Are you zealous for God? Are you zealous for the things of the Lord? 1 John 1 9 says, If you confess your sins, man, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I don't know about you, but I, I have to shower occasionally. I don't know why, but if I don't, people don't like talking to me or getting next to me. I need to run to the Lord and be cleansed spiritually and emotionally and intellectually all the time because it seems I always fail God or get tainted by things of this world by one way or another. So I need that cleansing that He can give. This morning, God wants you to know that He loves you, that He wants to set you free. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18 says, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. And remember, Lord, all capitals is what? Yahweh, it's the tetragrammaton, Y-H-W-H. It's God's proper name. No one knows how to, tra- uh, how to pronounce it. Some people say Jehovah, but it can't be that because there's no J sound in Hebrew. So I believe the pronunciation is Yahweh or Yahweh. Uh, it's really amazing. But man, come, come now, let us reason together, says Yahweh, God the Father. Though your sins be as scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though they're red like crimson, they shall be like wool. And that comes from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This morning, God says you can't serve two masters. You got to choose somebody. You got to serve somebody. Yeah, who sings that? Bob Dylan? You got to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you got to serve He's a Christian, right? Became a Christian, fell away. Is he back a Christian again? Now he converted? <laughs> to Jewish, is he? Well, so he's Jewish, be, became a Christian, partied, and then he said you got to serve somebody, quoting the Bible. Okay, anyway, <laughs> folks, you do have to serve somebody. You, you are in bondage to something. And isn't it great to be in bondage and a servant of the Lord instead of anybody else? You don't have to bow down to anyone else. You belong to God. And you're precious in His sight. You're the apple of His eye. Amen? Forty days to freedom. Man, we're a little over halfway. Have you changed? Have you done anything? In 40 days, what can you accomplish in your life? I'm just trying to get healthy. I've been not eating right and all of that, so I got overweight. I'm, I'm like puffy. I'm, I'm, I, so if I can just start eating right, you know, take vitamins and exercise, I'll be okay. By the way, boxing is a really fun workout. You ever do that? Anyone? Okay, let's we need to do a ring dance. No, I'm just kidding. It is so fun. This Thanksgiving, folks, I, man, I so want your home to be a place where you and your family worship God this Thanksgiving. You know what I mean? Thanksgiving is all about God. In this great nation, 
all the way back in the 1600s, about 1620, a small ship, actually a few, came from England to this great land. They had one thing in mind, they wanted to kill Indians. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> they had one thing in mind, what was it? To, to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why they came. Do you realize that first winter they were here, over half the people that arrived on these shores died? I don't know about you, but that's trial. Man, they had crossed the Red Sea. They were just like Israel. They found their freedom in this new world. And over half of them died the first winter there. But the very next year, the Indians helped them out. Remember that? And they had a great Thanksgiving feast to glorify God. The survivors praised God for His provision and had their first Thanksgiving celebration. And every year since then, the colonists and this nation have celebrated Thanksgiving to give glory to the one true God. Not Allah, not any Hindu God, not any other God, but the one true God. That's Yahweh, God. A day set aside to give thanks to Almighty God became official in 1863. But even before that, when President Abraham Lincoln proclaimed a national Thanksgiving Day, the First Continental Congress did it all the way back. But they came here to do that, what? Advance the kingdom of Jesus Christ. This Thanksgiving, wouldn't it be great if we remind people that this was a Christian nation? That it was built on Judeo-Christian ethics of the Bible? In history books now, this is what they're taught in school. They came to this great land to what? Seek their fortune in the new world. No, they came as missionaries. They came to be missionaries. In 1676, the first proclamation said that the Lord may behold us as a people offering praise and thereby glorifying him, persuaded by the mercies of God that we may all, even this whole people, offer our bodies and souls as a living and acceptable service unto God by Jesus Christ. Folks, make no mistake about it. This was a Christian nation, and you know my what we go through. First Continental Congress in November 1st, 1777, one year after we declared our independence, had this Thanksgiving proclamation. Okay, this is the Congress. For as much as it is the indispensable duty of all men to adore the superintending providence of Almighty God, that they may join the penitent confession of their manifold sins, whereby they have forfeited every favor and their humble and earnest supplication that it may please God through the merits of who? Jesus Christ, merciful to forgive and blot them out of remembrance, that it may please him graciously to afford his blessing on the governments of these states." This nation is great because it served the one true God. It feared the one true God. In the White House, they held church. In, I mean, uh, not the White House, but the, uh, huh? Capital. <laughs> Capital, they held church. I've got this head cold thing. Uh, can you tell I'm a little dingy this morning? 
So I have a headache and, oh, man, I just don't feel good. Will you pray for me? (laughs) Man, I tell you what, Thanksgiving is a day about a nation that used to celebrate the one true God. We no longer do it. Patrick Henney, he said this, give me liberty or give me death. But he also said this, cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not by religionists, but by Christians. It was founded not on religion, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And folks, the fall of this nation is before us. We need to pray for this nation. This Thanksgiving, I pray that you would gather your family together and remind your children this nation was blessed and became great because it was a nation based on this book. Our laws, our government, all of it is based on this. And we have lost that. Folks, I fear for this nation. This Thanksgiving, all we can do is run to the Lord and remind people about that. Amen. Joe, come on up. What song are you going to do? Last one? Okay. If you need prayer, uh, Chris, uh, our interim pastor, and myself will be back to pray with you. Um, man, God loves you so much. And if you find yourself facing darkness or an impossible situation today, remember Israel faced it and God delivered them. Maybe you have bitter water before you. Turn to the Lord. He'll take that bitterness and make it sweet. And restores my soul, satisfies my Thank you for listening to Staying the Course with Pastor Brett Peterson. If you would like a copy of this message or would like to submit a prayer request or comment, Contact us at 949-888-5777 or email us at info at ccbcu.edu. God bless you as you seek and serve him. Remember, stay the course and we'll see you next week. i